tellingly, these scenes only begin to appear after the arrival of the Mongoloid. After the arrival of the Mongoloid. After the arrival of the Mongoloid. Conquest by the Mongoloids would explain why there are no Aborigines in the Americas today. 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 As long as they were on the reservation, they were Indian. As soon as they left in the uh, reservation, for whatever reason, they became free people of color. Then finally they became African Americans, same people. And you could see it in the lifetime of a single individual. Mm -hmm. This journey, it changes in, in classification. In, in classification. In, in classification. Welcome to Real Black Country, this foreign podcast. This is Big BJ checking in. Today's conversation, we're going to talk about some history. We're going to talk about some history, and we're also going to talk about some hustling because uh, <laughs> sometimes, you know, if you lack some history, um, believe it or not, the way the hustle works, that somebody will sell you a history if you don't know your own history, right? You know, um, here on Real Black Consciousness Forum Podcast, you know, we don't make any original content. You know, we don't do it. The content comes from the comments, right? We have our conversations from what we see in the comments. And then, you know, in the comments, we talk one to another. And um, that is the engine and the fuel to this machine, right? That's how we kind of move and shake a lot of things on this platform, right? So um, I had the privilege, right? There's a guy who channel I follow, right? RJ. And I had the uh, privilege to, you know, follow his channel. And uh, he had a conversation about some Aboriginal thing. And um, he self-identified himself as like a Pan-Africanist guy, right? So, you know, a Pan-African guy is kind of like a guy who, um, they talk a lot about Africa. And they're kind of like Afrocentric. They have these, you know, it's, this ideology that they subscribe to is kind of weird, right? They kind of like make everybody from Africa. You know, like not just the American Negro, like everybody came from Africa, like the German, uh, the Korean, the Chinese guy, you know, um, the British guy, you know, fresh out of Limey Land. At one time, I'm talking about, you know, the devil, the British devil. Right. At one time in his existence, he was once black. Right. And then over hundreds of thousands of years, because everybody started off in Africa. So over hundreds of thousands of years, this guy, he kind of like uh, had an evolution, I guess, almost. And he evolved into the so-called devil and the Turks evolved into a Turkish guy and the Russians evolved into Russians. And then, you know, the Koreans and the Japanese and the Chinese, they evolved into these groups, but they once began black. And then the skin tones changed and they became a whole new race. And of course, by this time, they moved out of Africa, right? Because everybody starts off in Africa. Now, you know, many of us that live in the West, you know, we're American Negroes, of course, we are African too, right? Because we share the same paint job as those from the black continent, right? So we are originally Africans as well. Well, it's kind of funny because those other groups, they don't get that African label put on them. Nobody's calling the uh, the guy the Afro-British guy or the Afro-German guy. Uh, that doesn't happen like that. Nobody's saying the Afro-Korean. Nobody's saying the Afro-China guy. In fact, right now in the continent that we call Africa, the Chinese man is taking over. Well, it looks like it's a bit of a panic almost, but maybe not. Because if you're Afrocentric guy, what a Chinese guy, he once was a black African. He just kind of like evolved and changed into a yellow man, right? <laughs> It's so, <laughs> but they don't call him African anymore. The only people they run around on a the planet they call African is the guy with the same paint job as them. So they see us, the American Negroes, they say we're African. And then, you know, you go to Solomon Islands and they say those guys are African. And then they go to Australia and they say these guys are African. And they had kingdoms and dynasties way in the middle of the Pacific, you know, in the middle of nowhere, in an island called Hawaii. And there have been Negroes running that show forever. They got kingdoms and dynasties and everything in Hawaii. And they say, you know what? These guys came from Africa, too. So they put that label on all of us because of a paint job. So now, all of a sudden, we got Afro-Canadians. And then you got Afro-Americans. And then you go to a little southern, and they say these are Afro-Mexicans. And then Afro-Caribbeans. And then Afro-Brazilians. And then Afro-Hawaiians. And it's Afro, Afro, Afro. Everybody's on the West somehow became African overnight. But not that Chinese guy. He's still Chinese. That Korean guy is still Korean. 
you know, those Arabians still, <laughs> they're not Afro Arabians. It's like they play a paint job game. So every time you get a little darker, you say, oh, that's African mixture. And w without them really knowing, they kind of make this these Africans like hypersexual. So every time you go into a landmass and there's like a blend of people, they say, oh, you know, that's not how the people originally look. Um, they intermingle with these people and then intermingle with these people and intermingle with that people. And then when it comes to the Americas, when you start seeing Negro Indians, oh, that came from a runaway. Oh, this guy was a runaway slave here. And he ran. And, yo, they got these Africans coming to America and they running off these plantations right. And pardon the, you know, pardon the expression, but they running off the plantation right between a red Indian woman legs all the time. I'm like, God damn, like everybody's that you see in them. You think everybody was a runaway slave that's they call themselves Indian. And but, but here's a trick to that. Here's a trick to that. You know, when you go through history and you see certain figures, Negro figures, right? American Negroes and the Indian, they say, oh, this is a product between a red Indian woman and a runaway African slave. And then they show you people like, uh, you know, Crispus Attucks, and there was a brother in Canada, he ran the uh, fur business for years, and they said, well, he's a halfy, you know, he's half African and half Indian. They show you the, the person that they're talking about. They never show you the parents. See, that's another hustle. When they start, just pay attention to the hustles. When you go back and you look at American figures, right, and you look at these American figures and they're popularized, they're known as halfies. They was runaway African slave, half of that, and there was half of a red Indian woman. They show you the picture of the person, but they never show you the picture of the parents. The parents always get lost. Because once they show you, okay, this is a half a half African man with a half Indian woman, and they show you the picture of the Indian woman, that's going to ring a bell in a lot of you guys. They know that. They never showed you the Indian woman. They just show you the man, right? When you even talk about things as far as our experience in the Americas, right? Here on Real Black Culture to Form Podcast, we show and prove that the American nigger was always in the West. We were always here. We was always in Central America, South America, and the islands. We was always in California, Southern California. We had a pocket in Texas. We was always in Louisiana, Alabama. Let's just say we had small pockets in Southeastern portion of America. All the time. Now, we don't say on this podcast that we were the only people here. That's what separates us from these Aboriginal guys. They're trying to make it look like, you know, these, the Aboriginal community is like the American Negro was the only people in the Americas. And then other people moved in. That's that's kind of true. Right. But they do that to such an extent that they don't talk about the invasion. Of different color mongoloid groups on the American Negro. They do it to a degree where they almost like um, they're piggybacking on other people's culture, right? They don't show, you know, on this podcast, we just show and prove that we were already in the West. And then during the slave trade, other Africans came over and they assimilated into the American Negro population, right? They We became one people. They We were assimilated. Well, technically... It's not only the African, it was actually was the African and the East Indian because wherever the British went, the East Indian and African went with them, right? And these two groups assimilated into um, the American Negro population. So we often tell a joke, you know, when our brothers and sisters say that grandmama is Indian, we say, well, shit, well, what kind of Indian was she, right? Because <laughs> it, was, it was like three types of Indians in this territory that we call United States. You had the red Indian woman. She was always here. You had the American Negro woman. She was here. And then you had the East Indian that was here. So we also tell another joke with that. Kamala Harris is not the first East Indian to pass as a Negro. They have always been doing that when it came into this land. She's not the first. But maybe that's a different story for a different day. It's a Pan-African brother, right? Going back to that. And um, this brother was talking about slavery and slave trade and uh, he was talking about the Aboriginal community and we do it like as well as I just explained, but you know, he took a little pivot. and he was like, um, you know, he was sort of talking about the numbers of people involved in the slave trade. 
So much so that these Afrocentric guys, they make it look like there were no Negroes in the West until you got here on the bottom of a ship. This is kind of unique, right? Because these Afrocentric guys, they take every other territory and they put black people in them. So they'll tell you that the original Europeans was black. And then, of course, in the territory that we call Africa, the original people is black. And then they start talking about, you know, the original people of China, they were black. And then the original people of Russia, they was black. Everybody's black. And then you say, what about the Americans? No, not there. Um, there was another kind of people. We didn't get there to the slaves. You brought them there. Huh? How does that work? <laughs> this Negro just made the Chinese folk, the original Chinese people black. But when it comes to the American Negro, it changes all the time. You got here at the bottom of a ship. So, like, I reached out to the brother and say, yo, beloved, I'm trying to figure something out because we talk, you know, to get down to clarity, you always have to put numbers into something. So I'm like, yo, W.E.B. Du Bois was the first scholar, Negro scholar that went on record and said that there was a hundred million involved in the slave trade. So I'm like, yo, do you agree with that principle? You know, I'm talking to the brother, right? He's currently, if I'm not mistaken, he's in the black continent as we speak, right? If I'm not mistaken. So the brother says, uh, well, 20 million black Africans came from Senegal alone to the Americas. So now I'm thinking to myself, wow, it's, I'm looking at the date. I'm like, it's 2021. How is it possible that an American Negro can believe that 20 million people came from Senegal alone in a slave trade? That doesn't make any sense. That's not even mathematically possible. That's not like, you know, you, you know, we, we can't make these devils like they're gods or something, right? They're not like they're the gods of logistics and transportation. They didn't have that. that listen family the logistics and transportation was not there at that time frame to forcibly remove 20 million people and bring them from Senegal or Dakar the Gory Island and bring them to the America it's not that technology is not there you know we can't come on man I just I can't believe we're doing that today right I can't even believe that we can't even you know 20 million people? Do you know how many people 20 million people is? That's like, that's not mathematically possible. So I'm like, beloved, you have to give me some scholars or something that can back that up. So he sent me a scholar of a brother from Africa and that guy that he sent me, he didn't back that up. Right? I, I went back, I checked, I seen some of his writings. He, he do the kind of like the, the typical Afrocentric, you know, everybody came from Africa and, you know, uh, he said that the, uh, I think his name is uh, Sheik, Sheik Antidiop. He talks about how, you know, white folks came out of black folks and, did, you know, like the stereotypical Afrocentric kind of stuff, right? So, but just to think, though, in that context, being that the European was once a black African, it makes me rethink the whole idea of, well, how does colonization work? If this is because your essence saying that these white folks are your children for real and they come back to their homeland of Africa and then they're colonizing everybody. But it's not their land, but it, it kind of is their land, right? Because they came from. But maybe I'm thinking too much. Maybe that's a different story for a different day. Because <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out like these guys like, OK, first you ever. First, the Chinese are taking over. Then the devil, of course, is taking over Africa. And then you, you, we, we talk about, um, what does what it do? Like Cecil Rhodes, he's a big devil. And the other guy that uh, he came in at the Congo, he was cutting people's hands off. Uh, what is this devil name? Uh, King Leopold, right? We talk about these guys, these devils that come out of Europe and they go back to Africa and they do what they do best because that's just their nature. It's not a big, you know, it's not a big deal. That's just their nature. But really... They're not really devils doing this. They really was Africans at one time. How does that work? I, I'm going to need one of these Pan-African guys to explain that to me. Like, how does that? Like, these are your children, right? But yeah, maybe that's a different story for a different day. We're talking about Dakar and Gory Island and Senegal. And he says that 20 million Africans came in a slave trade to the West. So I'm like, okay. So then I just looked up and see, you know, what is this whole Gory Island thing is about, right? Because the thing about the American Negro is this. You know, we've been having that shovel in our hand 
for I don't know how many centuries now, talking about finding our roots. And we're digging and we're digging and we're digging to find our roots. And when we're digging to find our roots, we're looking for an African ancestor. And 99.9% .9 of us can't find his ancestor. We can't find it. We can't find nobody on the ship. Um, we just can't. That's not in our family legacy. That's not in the legacy. That's not in the lineage. It's just not there. We're making it there because we read a book. I, I, I have to really stress this out. Like, check this out. Normally, people identify themselves based off the oral, if not written, tradition of their family members. Right? So if you get around a bunch of Arabs, they call themselves Arabs because their grandmama and granddad, they self-identified as Arabs. You can hang out with your West African brothers and they may say they're Yoruba or they're Ifa or they're Igbo or they're Ashanti because this is what their parents told them that they were. And grandparents, the American Negro is different. Our grandparents self-identified as Americans and American Indians and American Coloreds and American Negroes. We somehow became African because we read a book and then we look back at our forefathers and foremothers like they didn't know what they were talking about, like they were idiots. And we tried to, you know, we read a devil's book and this devil from Ohio State somewhere or UCLA or somewhere out of Michigan or Michigan State or, you know, Virginia somewhere, one of these big fancy universities. And this guy never met our family. He never came down to these back hills and backwoods of Virginia and Louisiana and Alabama and Tennessee and Georgia and met our people. He just never did that. He wrote a book and said that we all from Africa and we want to be so learned. We act like, you know, this is who we, we let the devil tell us who we are. So when you see an American Negro calling himself African, he did not get that title, that label from his family. That's important that you understand that. He got that from a devil. He didn't even get that from a black African brother. These black African brothers have been coming over here. For the last 150 years, these Nigerians, these Ghanaians, you know, these guys from West Africa, Angola, Senegal, they're coming over. Not once, not anybody set up any shop, any work center, any type of uh, street corner teaching. You know, our people back in the day used to get on the soapbox because they didn't have the, you know, the financial means to get a whole podium. They're standing on the soapbox and preach to our people about a good direction. You never seen an African come to New York City or Detroit or Baltimore, or any of the cities that we populate, Houston, Atlanta, Kansas City, anywhere, and start giving us the good news, that gospel that, you know, we're from a place called West Africa and this is who we really, it just never happened. We can't go to no, I can't point out to you one school in the neighborhood anywhere that an African came over and built and said, I'm going to teach these American Negroes who they are. It just never happened, bro. It just never happened. Since we just can't like. So this whole when I hear brothers say they pan African, I'm like, oh, he's part of a team that he's not included. He doesn't know he's not included. He just he doesn't know, but he think he's included. And I guess that makes him feel better. But again, that African title he didn't get from his family. Now, that's not part of his family tradition. They didn't they didn't do that. It just never happened. So, again, where did he get this idea from? He read it out of a book that a devil gave him. So, in that context, I look at Afrocentric guys like I look at Hebrew Israelites. Because these are two American Negro groups, right? That they picked up a book. And out of this book, they recreated an identity for themselves. A different lineage, a different culture, a different legacy. They just picked up a book and they found a new them. Now, their grandparents don't know nothing about that. <laughs> their grandparents don't know nothing about that. They just picked up a book and they became a new person. So when I see brothers that say, you know, they're from, you know, they're Hebrew Israelites. And I'm like, damn, he didn't even go to Africa. He went further. He like he went way further uh, east. <laughs> this Negro went. Go check this out. You know, the African brother, he went 5,500 miles from home. To get him a new coach identity, right? But this this Hebrew Negro, this Negro went like seventy five hundred miles <laughs> to get him a new identity. You know what I'm saying? Like what kind of shit is that? You know what I'm saying? 
But these Negroes are picking up these books. And then they, they come up with a new them. So I'm like, okay, okay. How real is that? But check it out. Look at the similarities into the two groups. A Negro that calls himself African and a Negro that calls himself a Hebrew Israelite. They can't prove, and that's the key thing. They can't prove that they have a lineage to any of these groups. Because like I said, we got this shovel. We've been digging for these roots all the time. And the, we keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And we keep finding all of our ancestors on this land. But American Negro, he'll look you in the face and tell you, you know, you're disrespecting your African ancestor. Okay, so, well, since you know so much about me, what? who is my African ancestor? Give me the name. Ask these Afrocentric guys. Like, yo, you give me a name. You saying you African, you give me a name of one. I don't need 10, just one of your African ancestors. Just one. He don't have one. And then if you ask a guy, you look him straight in the face, him or her, and say, well, damn, give me at least a hundred year range when your people got here. He can't even tell you that. His people been here so long, he don't even know. It, but it doesn't dawn onto him that I don't care which church he go to or what mosque he go to or now synagogue, right? Because, you know, we're Hebrews now. So it doesn't matter, like, where these guys go or who they affiliate with or fellowship with, their co-workers, their family members, the people in the neighborhood. Nobody can find this ship from Africa. It doesn't dawn on him. So. It's like he plays another game. He said, well, our family been here for so long. They forgot they from Africa. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, because now the devil teaches us about two waves, right? Of these slave ships, two waves. Before 1808, it was illegal slave trade, right? So for just for conversation, I can say, all right, maybe your people that got here because you think they came off a ship. Maybe in the 1700s, they should have forgot Right. You don't have that in your story. They got here before 1808. It was legal. They can't remember. All right. For conversation. I'll let you have that. Not really, but for conversation that you have it. But the devil, he came up with another a second wave. The second wave, he said there was an illegal slave trade that happened after 1808. Now, the average American Negro can go back in the 1800s in their genealogy. Easy. Because the 1800s is the average American Negro's great-grandfather, great-grandfather. Boom. You're in the 1800s. Now, surely the, the people that got here during the quote-unquote illegal slave trade should remember. Surely they should remember. Because, again, all Negroes were set free by Abraham Lincoln through the Civil War, Emancipation Proclamation. And they took back what was theirs through the Confiscation Act in the South, all the federal buildings and state buildings. So dig this. So now from 1860 to 1866, everybody was, quote unquote, free. So if somebody's families out of the hundreds of thousands of people that got here in the 1840 and 1850, by 1860, everybody was, quote unquote, free. Somebody now in their family should remember they came from Africa. You go around and you do the field research. Nobody can remember that either. OK, so if everybody, everybody forgot before 1808, everybody forgot. After 1808, everybody forgot. Well, who reminded you that you came from Africa? Who? The devil reminded you. He gave you a book and said, look, this is where you're from. 5,500 miles away. This is where you're from. <laughs> he could have he put an extra 4,000 miles on it. He could have said you're from Australia. What's the difference? You're saying your people forgot. They could just jump up and tell you from anywhere. And then they did tell you this from anywhere. You just went for it and you looked at your paint job and you seen that these guys had the same paint job as you and you went for it. Now, now we got to come back for a circle to my man's comment. Since you went for it and you think you're from 5,500 miles away, right? West Africa. I can sell you a Gory Island tour now because your people is from here. Even though when you, you, you're an American Negro, even though you did all the digging and you, you looked up all your ancestors in America is your ancestral homeland. See, because this is how you have to talk to the American Negro. This land is your ancestral homeland. That means every ancestors that you got, that you can think about, that you can find is buried right here. All the skulls and all the bones is right here. All of them. But that's okay. That's not good enough. The devil told you you're from Africa. Okay, cool. So now when you get to your African brother who never built a school in your neighborhood, 
who never came over and told you you from Africa. He can, you know, they have the African Union. Dig this, bro. They got the African Union. And now they have telecast and webcast. And he never even includes you. Nobody from that black continent includes you into anything, yo. Nothing. You're not included. Yo, they talk about, you know, during these African unions, they talk about what they're going to do. Like, um, I think they got a group called 2063, 2068, 2060 something where they're planning for the future. These Africans ain't even put the American Negroes in their future. They talk about building infrastructure. You're not included. They talking about how they're going to do to solve the issues of this pandemic. You're not included. They talk about how they're going to control their migration patterns in the future. You're not included. You're not included in nothing. You walking around with the African. And this is for my Pan-African brothers and sisters. You walking around calling yourself African-American. But you're not even included in nothing that goes on in the landmass that you took the title of. How real is that? How real is that? Yo, I'm going to take you back, right? Check this out. I remember when I was a young scrap, right? Dig this. I'm going to tell you a story, right? I remember I was a young scrap. And, of course, I'm coming up out the west side of Detroit, right? And uh, I can remember Claire's day as a young teenager. They came out with a video game system. The name of it was uh, Nintendo, right? They came out with the Nintendo system. I remember my big cousin. Peace be upon him. He's from the east side of the trace. No longer here. Him and my big bro, though, they used to sit up all day, right? And uh, they play Nintendo all day long. So, of course, me, I want to be a part of this because I feel like I'm left out. I want to play the game. man. I want to, you know, they just look like they're having a good time. But, damn, it's only two remote controls. But they just playing their heart out, playing their heart out. So, I'm like, yo, I want to play. I want to play. I want to play. I want to play the game that y'all playing. They wouldn't let me play. I'm little cuz to one. I'm little brother to the other. That's just how that work. You know, they're like, man, get on out the way somewhere, man, get back. So out of my frustration to want to be a part of, right? So dig this what I do. I go wake up my mom. So I'm like, Ma Duke, right? I wake up my old bird, right? That's what we call our mom when you're from the D. We say, man, that's my old bird, right? So I go to my old bird. I'm like, mom, yo, they in there. They won't let me play the game. I want to play I want to be a part of this. They won't let me be a part of it. Mom, I want to play, right? In true snitch fashion, right? Dig that. True snitch fashion. So my mama get up, right? My Duke get up. And she like, yo, this is nuts. So my old bird come into the room, right? She come into the room and she like, yo, I want y'all to let VJ play. Because he ain't playing. I bought that game for everybody. He should be able to play the game. So my big cousin, my big bro, like, for sure, we got you. We'll let him play. We'll let him play. So what my, you know, what my big bro do when my old bird leave the room, right? What my big bro do, he go into the top drawer and he pull out another more control. He pulls up a chair and he hands it to me. And then he unpause the game. He continue to play, right? Now, I got this more control. It's the third more control now. I'm pushing on the buttons. You know, they got the little, I'm pushing up, I'm pushing down, I'm hitting A and B, I'm hitting, and I'm just like, I'm enjoying myself. Like, yo, I'm a part of this now. I'm a part of the game. But I was a little slow. <laughs> I wasn't so sharp as a team, right? Because, dig, I didn't notice, and it took me a little while to put it together that, my big bro, he just gave me a more control. He never plugged it up. You know what I'm saying? That, so that means I got the more control. I got the same more control that they got, but it's not connected to no power. But I'm just pushing on the buttons. I'm enjoying myself. I'm just pushing up and down, A and B. And I'm hitting the stop button, hitting the pause button. And then I say, well, wait a minute. This thing ain't, wait a minute. Y'all, y'all are really connected to that power source. <laughs> but I'm not connected to the power source. What's up with? Because it wasn't plugged in. And my big bro used to use a term that went over my head. Say, he's playing, but he's not included. Did you catch that? He got the more control. He's playing, but he's not included. That's how I look at the American Negro. That's a pan-African. And he called himself an African. 
He got the more control. He's sitting at, he got a chair. He's pulled up at the table. He's pulled up. He's sitting at the couch or wherever he's at. He's sitting on the edge of the bed, wherever they're doing. They're playing the game. He thinks he's involved in the game because he's got the same more control as the real Africans got. As the real Ashanti's got. As the real Yorubas and the Masai and the Ifa. He's sitting there. He feels like he's involved. He's not included, though. Because every time those other two push a button on that more control, they're making a decision of what that game is doing. See, they're in the game. Because you wanted to be them, they just gave you a more control so you can feel like you was a part of, but you never was a part of. Maybe that's over your head. Maybe that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> but dig, we're on the website, right? And our brother, an American Negro, he told us, he said 20 million came from Senegal and he started talking about Guyana. So let's see what our African brothers is doing, right? Because they, you know, now after we pay all this money to get 5,500 miles over the Atlantic, we took a flight and all this. He's going to now teach us about our history. And then he brings us to Gory Island. And before he teaches about our history, right, he says, if you book this trip in advance, it's going to be 145 per adult. So, okay, right off the bat, you know, you've been digging in America, but now he's going to really teach you your history in Africa, but it's going to cost you 145 a head. Okay, so you pay the 145 a head. But this, let's take a look at what's the background history of Gory Island that the devil has always been trying to tell us, right? Let's just, because we, the messages say you love the devil because he gives you nothing. Let's see what he gave us about Gory Island first, right? If you go to the devil's publication, the Washington Post, the headline says the sincere fiction of Gory Island, Africa's best known slave trade memorial. And if you look at the photo, there's a picture of your beloved president, Barack Obama. Can you dig that? Right. Dig that. Dig that. Dig that. I think it's unique that the American Negro can never sit in the highest seat. Of the land of his own country. Because the American Negro is too invested in the paint job game. See, they taught us to look at the paint job. So we go around the world and we look at everybody's paint job. And now we think that these other folks are our brothers and our sisters. And they're not. Right? Dig that. Barack Obama became president. An African became president. A true African American. And the minute he went for politics, his whole bloodline, it fell out of the sky damn near. They can take it from his mom all the way back to where they were from in Europe, right? But there's a current, there's a trend with that now. Everybody that's in American politics, their bloodline always is discovered overnight. Now they put us a new paint job face in front of us. It's called Kamala Harris, right? She got, she's one breath away from being Madam President. She got the title of a black person. She got the look of an American Negro. But she's not a homegrown American Negro. She's not. She's from East India, right? It's funny how they can put these folks in front of us because she too, bloodline has been exposed and it went all the way back to that part of Asia. What do you think is going to happen when a true American Negro with his family from Georgia and Alabama or Texas or somewhere in the Union, when they go for the highest seat of the land and they have to expose that bloodline, they're not going to find no ship family. See, that'll blow the whole, they're not going to find no ship so what they do, because they, you know, it's like a bait and switch. They just show you the pay job. And then when you look at the bloodline, you're like, damn, I think it's. So let me get this right. The two Negroes that you put in front of me, they just so happen to be from somewhere else. Where's the homegrown American Negro at? No, 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 no. Can't show you him. Because they're going to have to pull out that bloodline. They're going to keep going back and back and back. And guess what? <laughs> that ship that you're looking for ain't going to be there. <laughs> And then they're going to have some explaining to do. 
But maybe that's a different story for a different day. So, Dick, we're talking about Gory Island, Africa's best-known slave trade memorial. You got your favorite president, Barack Obama, right? And uh, let's take a look at what the uh, the Washington Post had to say about this place. Um, and we're going to go right down to the first two paragraphs. This is uh, came out in 2013. And it says, President Obama visited one of Africa's most famous memorials to the slave trade on Thursday. The House of Slaves on Senegal's Gory Island. The official story is that millions of African slaves passed through the doors of no return, which faces west across the Atlantic. Countless visitors have come to contemplate the slave trade and to pay heartfelt tribute, including Nelson Mandela, Pope John Paul II, and at least three U.S. presidents. Okay, so right off the bat, you don't have a history. They finna give you a history. But give is a strong word. I'm using that, you you know, I'm using that term give loosely because it's going to be 145 ahead. And so we already know without the gate, the folks that's going to frequent that place the most is uh, American Negroes is going to go over there and check it out. Right. Because you were told in a story, in the official story, the article says that millions of Africans passed through this door of return. So you got these guys, your African brothers and sisters, they up there just acting and they just, you know, showing, you know, they I mean, they got their best uh, Denzel impression on and they're telling you how your forefathers, and your foremothers, they came over and, and somebody robbed them and they kidnapped them and they put them on the bottom of the ship and they sent them to your homeland. And that's how you got there. You came at the bottom of a ship, millions of you guys. So this story almost connects with what. RJ was telling us through the comments, right? So, okay, we can kind of see the connection there, right? It doesn't say 20 million, but it just says millions, but we'll get to that 20 million later. And then it goes on to the next paragraph and it says, except that the official story turns out to be largely a myth. Hmm. Interesting. Historians have agreed since the 1990s that the house was likely just a private residence that had nothing to do with the slave trade. Interesting. Earlier, we explored this long-standing disconnect between the reality and myth of Goy Island. Why it's proven so resilient and that it says about the world's struggle to deal with this dark chapter in history. Let's stop. We got to talk about that. You've been hustled. You've been kind. And who is the number one perpetrator of this kind? The nigger with the paint job, the same as you. You wanted a history. Your history that this family gave you is not is not good enough. So we're gonna sell you a history then. This is where you came from, millions of you guys. But look look what the devil said, because when they say historians, them devils, right? They knew it was a hoax the whole time. Say, man, that's a private residence, man. They didn't have no millions of slaves coming out of that place. You nuts. Got them. Okay, dummy. Before this game, you was just a plain dummy. But after the night, you'd be a broke dummy. All these Negroes that paid that 145 ahead. Hey, yo, check this out. You know, some folks, man, because, you know, when you're trying to get money, some folks ain't got no real heart, man. You know, it's just business, right? You know, I teach my children that I'm like, yo, everything else, only thing you better take personal is everything that go inside this house. Everything outside your front door is business. Every single thing outside your front door is business, right? I teach my children that, right? Yo, when you have professions like these tour guide people at these slave dungeons and all that, I mean, just think they just going over a script in front of you. And I've seen videos of American Negroes over there at these Goyah. I mean, like they in tears. They can't like really keep themselves together. They're crying when they get off the plane. They're what man, I can feel the spirit of my aunt. They like they can feel it. Somebody sold them a real dream. They're like, yo, I can feel they selling them trauma. They selling them like they're they're victims. Like they sell them this whole like victimhood kind of hustle. And you just buy into that and you can, the lie is so strong. That deception is so strong. You bought into it that millions of people came from this place. And then the devil come back and say, no, that didn't happen. That was a crib, man. That wasn't no, no, man. They hustling y'all, man. Got them. 
money gone. Um, you know, uh, I used to know people back back in the day. They used to have uh, family members that was uh, they was like in the funeral home business. It's the funeral home business. You know, they're burying people. Three of they have like these, you know, it's all scheduled out. They have three or four funerals at these funeral homes on a Saturday. So how like sympathetic can the people that work there really be? Because they're in the business of putting people in the ground. So they may, you know, hug your mother's hand and hug your auntie hand and they're acting sympathetic. But it's an act because when you leave at nine o'clock, the next appointment is coming in at 11 and then they play the whole thing again. And when they leave at 11, the next one come in at one and they. That's a hustle, but that's a hustle that I can actually understand because they're in the business of being empathetic and sympathetic. You're going to have to have a different kind of devil. Right. That look you in your face and try to make a connection with you as an American Negro and act like, yo, this is your history. And they know it's not. That's a different kind of that's different because I can respect the guys that play that role that's in a funeral business because death is a part of life. We can't escape that part. But goddamn, beloved, you you got to confuse people. And you're going to take further advantage of a confused people? Let's take a look at another source, right? Right? Because Big Mama always say, out of the minds of two or three witnesses, you know, let everything be established, right? So, we, we're going to go with the Chicago Tribune. And uh, they also wrote about Gory Island, right? And um, we're going to go right down to the... Uh, to the second paragraph and it says uh, more than 20 million advocates left through the house's notorious quote-unquote door of no return bound for the nightmarish voyage to the americas and they said even before departure families were separated and children thrown in the chains into their own dank stone holding cell today marked with the sign in french events african captives judged Worthless as slaves were tossed to sharks, he said. During their months long voyage by ship, 25% to 30% of the shackled men and women on board died from cramped conditions, bad food and water, and disease. Young women were raped by crew members. And once in the New World, the Africans were prodded like animals by potential buyers, then sold by numbers based on their weight and condition, and DA said, right? So we go now. Uh, we're going to go down a couple of more paragraphs. We're just going to skip down just a little bit. The problem, historian said, is that much of Ndj's heart-wrenching story is simply fiction. Numbers in question. Of the estimated 10 million Africans captured and put on ships throughout Africa during four centuries of the slave trade, at most 30,000 left from Goring Island. Probably none of them through the slave house, argues Philip Curtin, a retired historian and slave trade expert at John Hopkins University. Let's stop. Let's stop. Let's stop. Let's back up a little bit. Let's go back to the first paragraph. Because, see, now I got to identify a pattern, right? See, the guy named RJ, who's over there with those African Negroes, now I see where he got the 20 million number from, right? And DA, Mubutu, one of those Mubutus over there, right? He, he hit them with a story that 20 million Africans left the door, no return. And then he showed them, this, the, look at the shackles. Look, the shackles still on the ground, right? And look at this. He just, they were thrown in chains and they did this and did that. And, and DJ, Mubutu, right? Because, you know, and DA, I get, you know, the, the, those guys with those names, right? And DA Mubutu over there. He telling the American Negro 20 million Africans left the door no return. And then the devil come back behind him and say, no, no, no. At best, 30,000. Damn. How did you miscount? <laughs> Listen to me. It's a pattern. Listen to me. How did you miscount 19 million plus people? 
How did this happen, yo? Don't you guys see? It's a pattern over and over. W.E.B. Du Bois hit you with the 100 million African story. 100 million Africans involved in the slave trade came to the West. I'm like, damn, 100 million? You know, but W.E.B. Du Bois was brilliant. So I'm like, then another guy come back right behind him. And he's like, yo, he give us the 100 million story too. I'm like, damn, 100 million? But some of these guys, they'd be charismatic. And they got the their doctors and all of this and all that. Like, damn, you know, okay, that's cool. All right. Well, it was a little tight to believe that when, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois said it. But I'm like, damn, 100 million W.E.B.? I'm like, all right, we know it, that must be it. And then, you know, Dr. Henry Clark touted the same thing, 100 million people. He said, you know, you got to start to count at 60 million. I'm like, damn, 60 million? That's a lot of people. How, how many trees and wolves they had to cut down? To? I'm like, yo. But then, you know, that's part of your development. Because when you get older, you're like, yo, wait a minute. It's not, the science was not there. The technology was not there to forcibly remove 100 million people. Like, no, it's not possible. It's not even mathematically possible. And then there's another guy that popped up out of the blue. His name is Professor Henry Gates. And he said, it was 12 million. So then I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I say this every time we have a conversation about the slave trade. I'm showing you guys a pattern with these numbers. I'm like, yo, hold up. Hold tight, hold tight, hold tight. How do you miscount 88 million people? Like, yo, how do you just miscount 88 million, bro? Sis, man, these Afrocentric Negroes jump on every comment. They, they never talk about that part. They skip it, but I'm not going to stop talking about it. 88 million. Okay, now. Let's fast forward to the conversation that we have in the day. In JJ, Nunde, Mbuke, Mubutu, he coming along. He got American Negroes over there crying. I'm home, you know. My soul is connected with this place. My ancestors is from here, you know, knowing good goddamn well. They folks in Mississippi, some goddamn well, <laughs> Virginia, some damn well, you know, buried in New York somewhere. They ain't got one ancestor over there, but you know, they just, you know, I can imagine, you know, uh, and DJ Mubutu, you know, he, he got the music playing in the back. You know, they probably got, you know, they got the violins going, all this little kind of stuff. And he say, yo, 20 million came from over here. And then the devil come right behind him. <laughs> Look at this, listen to this. <laughs> the devil come right behind the dude and say, no, 30,000 at best. How in the hell did Mubutu miscount 19 plus million people, yo? How does that happen? They're not miscounting. Is the this is the point I'm trying to make? Damn it, they hustling. <laughs> they hustling. <laughs> they hustling, y'all, man. You big dummy. They are hustling you. Hey, yo, you want to coach you so bad? We are gonna sell you one, one forty five ahead. Because yo, we gotta get in on y'all ignorance. We see y'all over there. You you know. We seen the China man, right? Because sometimes you gotta look at these Africans like they kind of slick. Because you know, they uh they've been watching the China man beat y'all for years. So they say, man, they gotta get in on it because it's like, yo, we watching these Chinese folks take these fifteen dollars shoes. They take, made, you know, they put together this fabric and material. It cost them fifteen dollars. Then they sold it to the devil for like uh, triple the price. You know, to Europe and then Europe come back and they put a branding campaign together and they said to the Americans, then the Americans put another branding campaign together and then they put the Jordans in front and they say, we want $200 for them. <laughs> and then the Negroes go buy them. <laughs> you big dummy. Yo, they sold you some Jordans. The, the shoe called $15 to put together. But you know, they like, yo, it's like, you know, because check it out. I always say this, you know, on this podcast, if, you know, if you can teach people anything and then they believe anything, you can start selling them anything. So this Nigerian, these, you know, these Nigerians got together with these Chinese folk because see, yo, I'm just, we just having a conversation. I'm just talking at this point. Right. But dig this. When it comes to the Negro race, right? The smartest amongst us, as far as Negroes, is not the American Negro. No, no, no. American Negro, 
American Negro is kind of slow, right? American Negro is uh, you can sell, you can you, know, you can come to our neighborhoods and sell us anything, right? When it comes to the Negro race, though, the smartest amongst us is the Nigerian. Like this dude is pretty sharp. He's like the sharpest. He's smart on another level. Like he's different. You you can size him up with all the rest of the Africans, and he got everybody beat by a long shot. It's something about the spirit of these guys that's from Nigeria. They can mimic people, man. They have like a mimic soul spirit, right? And what I mean by that is like, um, if you haven't noticed, right, these Nigerians, they can like, um, they can get next to a people group and like, goddamn, like in less than a year, they can figure their language out and speak it. So you can kind of like come in contact with these Nigerians and these guys you can tell the people groups that they've been around because they can speak. I mean, I don't care who they hang around in less than a year, 24 months tops. They got the people language figured all the way out. That's that's a gift that you get from the universe. They, they can mimic because that's when you can start like speaking people languages. You're able just to mimic different groups. You're just mimicking them, right? Because you're like almost like a human parrot. You hear them say it and you can see it back. So you get around these Nigerians, they can speak eight, nine, ten different languages. I don't give a goddamn where they at. They can pick up the language. So they, check this out. I'm going to give you an example. You know, you can get a Nigerian guy right now, come to the Americas. You can stick him in the Bronx, right? Now, you know, he's in apartment, you know, 2A, right? The Nigerian is in 2A. The Negro is in 3A. And Poppy is in 4A. Right. That American Negro been living next door to Poppy for 10 years and he don't know a lick of Spanish. <laughs> he just don't know no Spanish. yet. <laughs> this American Negro been in the Bronx with his brown brother for 10, 15, 20 years. Same apartment building. He don't know no Spanish. But you put that Nigerian on that same floor and he could just talk to Poppy just a few times now. In less than a year, he got the whole Spanish language figured out. He can just have a whole conversation with Poppy. And then you can take that same Nigerian and stick him in a room with some Arabs and then hear no Arabic. And then you can stick him in with like some Russians. And hear no, like this guy is different. He can pick up on anything. See, when that Nigerian got to the Americas, he figured out real quick that the term African is a bridge word. Right. So he gets in front of the American Negro and the American Negro call himself African and that Nigerian like, oh, OK, well, I'm African, too. He really don't call himself African when he's not around. you. He called himself Ebo. He called himself Ashanti. He called himself Ifa. He called himself, you know, whatever tribe that they got. He, he don't call himself African, but he use it as a bridge word to connect with you. And then the minute you think that he's your brother because you're looking at his paint job, and he's looking at yours. He turns around and he sells you a Rolex for 20 bucks because you're stupid enough to buy it. Because if I can teach you anything and you can believe anything, I can sell you anything. And just think about it. You know, that Nigerian, he's more closer to the Chinese man than he is to you. Because, see, the China man, he used as the arm of being his manufacturer. So this Nigerian guy, like he go, he, he got a great relationship with this China guy. He's like, yo, we're going to get rich. And they say, how are we going to get rich? We're going to go to the Americas and we're going to get rich off the American Negro. But the American Negro, he may, he may or may not come directly to the China man and buy something. But he'll buy for me because he thinks I'm his brother. This is the Nigerian guy talking, right? This is why when you come to the black community, it's filled with counterfeit goods. Fake Gucci, fake Louis. <laughs> Everybody got a Rolex on, you know what I'm saying? You know, you go, hey, man, it's bad in Philadelphia. Like, man, them young guys don't even hustle hard like they used to. Like, everybody in Philly got the fake Rolex on. <laughs> Yo, they got the fake Rolex on. Because <laughs> they Nigerian brothers got it to them. They, you know, they brought this cheap shit for them, you know what I'm saying? Because they, 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 yo. They bridging off the pay job. So, you know, just think no other community is stupid enough to buy the counterfeit goods because, you know, this Nigerian, he passes right by the Italian neighborhood. But the Italians don't want the knockoffs. The Italians, 
if they got some goods for cheap, they want you to go and steal the real thing and bring it to them. So you had to bring them stolen goods. You know, they want they want the Rolex too. You had to go to the jewelry store and steal them the real one and bring it to them for cheap. They'll buy it. They want the cheap, uh, you know, Prada and the cheap Louis and they want the cheap Gucci. But you got to go into the store or catch the truck driver and steal it. You know what I'm saying? Off the truck and then bring it to him. He'll buy the hot stuff. Not the American Negro. He's not like that. He's different. <laughs> that Nigerian have figured out a way to get with that Chinaman to bring you the knockoff because he can sell you the fake stuff. He don't even have to give you the real stuff. Now, why this Nigerian is selling you all these counterfeit goods? Because, you know, all these young guys is running around every inner city from Chicago to Detroit to Atlanta to Philadelphia down to Houston. This Nigerian made sure that you got fake. Everybody got the fake rolling on, right? And now he's introduced the fake J's and the fake F was once. Like he's the face of the fake stuff, right? Because he can he can come to your neighborhood and send you anything because you're African. <laughs> you're his brother, right? So why this Nigerian guy is selling you all the fake stuff? That Senegalese brother, he don't want to be left out. He's like, damn, I can't get these Negroes these cheap ass goods because the Arab is selling them fake hair. Right. So the Arab got that locked up. The Asians are selling them fake nails and fake lashes. So goddamn, they got that, you know, locked up. I can't get in there. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, the Nigerian, he already got them with all the fake clothes that they need. So damn, there's really nothing else I can sell the American Negro because I can't sell them religion because the Jews already gave them a religion, right? You know what I'm saying? The Jews went over there and you know told him about how the snake and talk and all that. So they went for the, the Jews got them locked up. And whatever the Jews ain't got them at, the Arabs got them at because the Arabs, you know, got them, uh, you know, hitting their head on the ground four or five times a day, right? Praying to Mecca. So, man, I, I, where else can I get in to get my money out the American Negro? And then the light comes on and he said, yo, I'm going to sell these Negroes trauma. <laughs> I'm going to tell these Negroes that they from here and that this is the door of no return. And this is how they got to the Americas. Now, I got the records because I'm, you know, I'm from Senegal and I'm a native. And, you know, Senegalese people can go back from what I understand about these guys. Right. They can go back on their genealogy, I don't know, centuries and centuries and centuries ago. And there's no break in their genealogy. Meaning that if you can go back three or four centuries in your genealogy and there's no break, then that means nobody in your family was sold. Because somebody's genealogy should have a break in it if somebody was sold. Right? But maybe that's a different story for a different day. But he can't sell you that his family was sold. So he's going to come to you as the American Negro and tell you that your family was sold. But no, 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 no. I can't do it for free because I watch everybody else already take advantage of you. So I just got to get my little piece and I just want 145 ahead <laughs> when you come to the tour. <laughs> and I know that at best, maybe 30,000 came from here out of a 400 year period. But. That doesn't sound spicy enough. That doesn't sound enticing enough. So what I got to do is come in front of you and teach you that it was 20 million because that sounds more fitting. And then you come over here and you get beat out of your money and you eat up the story because you're the biggest idiot on the planet. And you don't know who you are. And because you don't know who you are, it's important that we sell you an identity. Right? Because you don't know. So, while you think people is out in your best interest because they got your same paint job, they don't. They're hustling you. Because there's money in teaching the American Negro that they're from Africa. And the minute the American Negro figured that out, the money stops. But until then, the dough keep flowing. Peace and black power to your family. Thank you guys for listening.
Thank you guys for hanging out, man. Real Black Content the Podcast, man. Big VJ, man. I get it with you guys later, man. Peace.